This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to Sleepover Cinema, where we, for the very first time in history, analyze the albums that created the collective unconscious of those who controversially wore black jelly bracelets to school in sixth grade. I'm Hannah Leach, a writer, musician, audio producer, and former pink and black girl, now just a plain pink girl. And I'm Audrey Leach, director, editor, producer, and recent low-rise jeans convert. We are the sister duo, also known as Two Pink Productions, and we haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them. We're going to explore the good, the bad, and the nonsensical of the albums that first inspired our love for pop music in an attempt to answer the question, is this music actually good? And at the end of the day, do we really care if it is? Today we are talking about 2002's Let Go, the debut album of Avril Lavigne. Hi, everybody. Welcome to a very special episode of Sleepover Cinema. Today, we are doing our very first album deep dive episode. I know this is different. This is not a movie or TV moment. However, we cannot pretend like the music of this era did not make a huge impact on us as well. And also like an impact on the TV and movies of the time. So we're here and we're getting into it. I look insane because I'm in my Avril Lavigne costume. Um, I have my Avril Lavigne crop top that I thrifted and I have not had raccoon eyes like this. Maybe ever. Probably in my life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so ever. so I, I'm enjoying that moment. Today we're turning over a new leaf. I'm really excited. This is something that I've wanted to do for a long time. And I think we've both wanted to do for a long time. So we're getting into it. Yeah, it's basically sleepover media at this point. <laughs> Rather than sleepover it is cinema. sleepover media. It's absolutely sleepover media, but that's not as catchy. Yeah. So you're just going to have uh, to cope with us. Question for the culture this week. The culture is super sick right now. It's actually really bad, period. But my question is, so when artists of any type decide to make a comeback, whether that is Avril Lavigne or Lindsay Lohan or, I mean, honestly, even JoJo to a certain extent. Uh, I mean, and a comeback meaning like a reemergence into the public eye in a big way, especially with Lindsay Lohan. And they do these like YouTube videos that are like nostalgia tours of their music or like remarking on older things that they've done. How do you feel about that? 
it, they're kind of damned if they're damned if they do and damned if they don't. Like a lot of people yeah. want to hear them talk about the thing that they know them for. And people would complain if they didn't talk about it. What I think is annoying and something I've been noticing a lot in the past few months is the reboot podcast rewatch phenomenon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, so like literally in the past few weeks, and you know what I realized? This is the same company that's producing like most of them. So I'm not surprised at all. It's called like, Onomy or something, and they do, they're mm-hmm. doing the Ned's Declassified one. They're doing the Wizards of Waverly Place one, and they do Christy Carlson Romanos, and they do like they do a bunch. One side of me is like, guys, like, is this not a little embarrassing for you? Just like a little embarrassing. Yeah. But then the other part of me is like, I guess I would rather they do a rewatch podcast than a reboot. Of the show. Like, iCarly did a full-on reboot, and I really think I would have been better. Like, I think we all would have been better off if they just did, like, a podcast. (laughs) So Yes. I kind of love it, to be honest. Like, especially the Lindsay Lohan one, the one I think it was Vogue. I loved that one. I think a lot of it depends on just who the person is and like how compelling they are and also how long they've been out of the public eye. Yeah. You know, Lindsay Lohan is the perfect example. There have been a lot of like similar things from Avril over the past few years, but mostly because she, you know, how like nostalgia for emo shit or whatever is like, basically as much of a thing as nostalgia for girly girl stuff. She kind of was like reemerging with a pop punk song and it felt kind of calculated. Uh, yeah. But I mean, it's all calculated, but it's like how well do people pull it off? It depends on who the person is. Are we going to talk about the Melissa conspiracy? It is in the notes. Okay. <laughs> and okay, one thing I should have said from the top of this is I was a heinously rabid Avril Lavigne fan as a child. There was not one aspect of my creative or emotional life in fifth and sixth grade that wasn't formed and molded by the highly formulated vision of Avril Lavigne in 2002. And I'm grateful to the product and to the legacy to this day. So this is going to be a rather reverent episode for me, but there's still some criticism to give. Are you ready to get into it? Yes. (laughs) So Avril Lavigne's debut full-length album, Let Go, was released on June 4th, 2002 by Arista Records. Of course, it was her debut, as I just said. It was credited as the biggest pop debut of 2002 and was certified seven times platinum in the U.S., The main producer of the album were The Matrix, which we'll get into more, but they are this songwriting producing trio that has done a lot of relevant work. And the hit singles off the album were Complicated, Skater Boy, and I'm With You in that order. That was the release order. And also that's the order of like ranking that they got over time. Okay, so Audrey, when you think Avril Lavigne, what are the three 
predominant things that pop into your mind? Um, that video of her being like, I'm a rock chick. I'm a punk chick. <laughs> uh, if, if you want to know what I think that I am, I think that I'm just a rock chick. And I like to rock out. I like to throw shit around. I like to go nuts. I like to lose myself on stage. I like to scream. I like to holler. I like to break things. I like to yell. I like to get my anger out. The fashion that she wore. Yes. And the vocals, I guess. The vocal styling. Yeah. So same. I also have like a ton of memories associated with her that I will get into later. But I guess for me, it's the skater girl fantasy, the personal lyrics and like the alternativeness of it all, especially at the time. I loved her so yeah. much. But you so know we're going to get funny? into that more. Like, we'll talk about this too later. But, like, with <laughs> if she had a different image, her music could be interpreted in an entirely different way. Because some of the songs are just, Absolutely. like, straight up, just, like, kind of cheesy pop. Not cheesy, but, like, some of them. I mean, not not cheesy. Yeah, so it's just funny how, like, her image solely determined how people would interpret the music, even though some of the songs could totally stand on their own as just like a pop song. And okay, that's funny because we're going to kind of get into that immediately. So who is Avril Lavigne? As a start, she sang in her church. She performed country music, which kind of checks out. And she performed with fellow Canadian Shania Twain on stage after winning a contest at 16, during which she allegedly told Shania that she was like destined to be a big star. So she had the bug from the beginning. She came from a religious family. Not the bug. The bug. Not I know. I'm bug. so sorry. <laughs> the, I brought up the bug. And she came from a super religious family. And I found this quote of her describing her relationship with her mom. This was from a 2002 interview when she was on the cover of Rolling Stone. She said, my mom protected my image. And that's not the only reason why I don't dance around like a hoe on stage, but it definitely has something to do with being brought up with tons of morals. And I'm not saying I'll never write a song with a curse word because there's definitely been times where it's like, oh man, fuck would sound so good right there. <laughs> but then I think about my mom and how it would probably hurt her, she says, laughing quietly. So I just say frig instead. <laughs> Okay, and then after that, so she was plucked from Napanee, Ontario, and auditioned for L.A. Reid, the head of Arista Records. Very classic, like, old school uh, rise to pop girl stardom arc. Um, and then these are just, like, some bonus fun facts I thought were interesting. She was married to Derek Wibley of Sum 41 and Chad Kroger of Nickelback. <laughs> at different times. So she had 10-year age differences with both of them. And uh, the Derek Wibley one may or may not have started when she was 17 and he was 27, which tracks, but is also gross. And she has Lyme disease. And of course, Avril's greater role in culture and kind of like memes and stuff related to her. Obviously, punk chick, as Audrey said, that whole meme. And then, of course, the whole Avril Lavigne actually died in 2003. Melissa Vandella, body double, conspiracy. Our friend Shane is obsessed with that. Yes. And, you know, known as punk chick, rock chick. Audrey already touched on that. And then, of course, we have the Avril Lavigne is actually dead 
meme slash conspiracy theory. The conspiracy theory is that she killed herself in 2003 and then was replaced by body double Melissa Vandela. So, okay, I'm not that well-educated in this subject matter, but the only thing that would, I don't know, convince me maybe a tiny bit is that her music changed so much after her second album. And also she kind of faded into obscurity a little bit after her second album. So perhaps, who's to say? I doubt it, obviously, but... I mean, regardless, like, everything that she did post her second album seemed so incongruent with who we thought she was. So, like, it does feel like her body got taken over. Like, it does feel like that. It doesn't make any sense what happened, but you know what? It is what it is. We've had to live with the fallout. Okay, so now getting into Let Go. I would say there are three core elements that made the album what it is and what it was. So first of all, Avril's vision was a very important part of the process. And I don't really know if vision is exactly the right word, but like she knew what she didn't like and what she did like. And that kind of shaped a lot of what she ended up putting out. So I have two quotes from this article that interviewed her from 2022. It was from this press tour she did for her latest album, Love Sucks. I was very clear on what I wanted to do and what I didn't want to do. I wanted to be angsty and to sound more like a band. Levine, whose seventh album, Love Sucks, dropped earlier this year, said of her artistry at the time. I didn't want to be all bubblegum pop. I wanted to turn my emotions into lyrics. I was honestly just very, very pure. I wrote this album right when I got out of high school, and now I get to hear these lyrics of me talking about my small town and my my obsession with skater boys, she said. Even things like in my world, I literally talk about the fact that I got fired by a fried chicken ass I worked for at the fried chicken chain. It's hilarious, she continued. I look back at those lyrics and I'm like, I can't believe I said that in a song. And essentially her insistence upon the like, quote unquote, punk rock sound ended up with her being match made with The Matrix for producing and writing music for her album. So The Matrix is this producing songwriting trio made up of Lauren Christie, Graham Edwards, and Scott Spock. They created five of the 13 songs on the album, including Complicated, Skater Boy, I'm With You, and Anything But Ordinary, and Things I'll Never Say, which are all bangers. And it's all three of the hit singles. And just for some more flavor, previous songs that they have worked on, plus stuff that was post-Avril include I Love Life by Melissa Lefton, which was on the Princess Diary soundtrack. Do you remember what that sounds like? The one that goes, uh, I love life, life loves me. Yeah. Everything in the world makes me happy. And then uh, they worked on This Year by Christina Aguilera, which was a Christmas song. And then post Let Go, they worked on So Yesterday, Where Did I Go Right? And The Math by Hilary Duff on Metamorphosis. So we will definitely be returning to The Matrix in the future. They produced Shadow by Britney Spears. All of Korn's album, See You on the Other Side. A bunch of stuff for Ashley Tisdale, Sky Sweetnam, The Cheetah Girls, Miranda Cosgrove, and the Bad Rihanna song. I'll drink to that. And then at the time, there were a lot of people who didn't really want to believe that Avril wrote her own songs. And it's very much up to debate how much of her own songs she did write. But because she had been positioned as this singer-songwriter... It was very like 
much a point of contention, especially because her whole package was just like so perfect for the time that everyone was like a little sketched out about it. The third thing that made it so impactful is that the entire Everlzine product was very much reactionary to the current times in the early 2000s. So for example, when she was on the cover of Rolling Stone in March 2003, the headline read, Avril Lavigne on the hunt with the Britney Slayer. And here are just two little excerpts from that article. You can't really predict when an artist is going to become a teen icon, says L.A. Reid, president of Levine's label, Arista Records. An icon, that is, who wears baggy pants, plastic bracelets, and a scowl. Not the skimpy threads and ultra-bright smiles of Britney and Mandy and Beyonce and pre-dirty Christina. An icon who sings about crushes on skater boys and who listens to Blink-182 and who may or may not know who Sid Vicious was. An icon who had quite a bit of help writing the songs on Let Go, but at least not from the Swedish hitmakers who write Backstreet Boys songs or from the Neptunes who write everything else. Looking at who she is now, I think I just kind of understand more of how she was shaped in this time. I mean, I think also like she had these impulses towards being like a skater rocker chick and basically they just went in really hard on that despite the fact that she was like 17. It was kind of just like a little impulse she had. But I do think that one thing that's really important to keep in mind is that the Britney and Christina stuff was like extremely, extremely, extremely sexual. And especially Britney was like super sexualizing of teenagers. Avril was very much like an authentic teenager compared to all of that. Is it all manufactured? Absolutely. But she was way more relatable to people than Britney or Christina was. And I think that that is really apparent in the way that we like remember her and interact with this album. And then from this 2018 Pitchfork review, the reaction between Levine's volatile energy and the music industry's commercial imperative produced her 2002 album, Let Go, a rebuttal of Spears' Aguilaran pop, overtly sexual, vaguely urban, hyper-processed, churned out by the same exact kind of hit factory. The exact division of labor behind Complicated, for example, remains a point of contention. When Levine spoke to Rolling Stone in 2003, she insisted that she was the primary author. The Matrix argued that her contributions were far less substantial. Avril would come in and sing a few melodies, change a word here or there, Christy told Rolling Stone. She came up with a couple things in Complicated, like instead of take off your stupid clothes, she wanted it to say preppy clothes. When asked to comment, Ellie Reed opted for poptimism through an executive's lens. If I'm looking for a single for an artist, I don't care who writes it, Reed told Rolling Stone. <laughs> I mean, it is like actually really strange that she has this image for being a singer songwriter when like she kind of like she definitely like she's not that much of a singer songwriter. Like she's not like Taylor no. Swift's level singer songwriter. No. And I think in my head, I felt like she was like a precursor to Taylor Swift, but she's kind of not <laughs> that. I don't think that she as a person is a precursor, but I think like the little niche that she carved out was a precursor. And then speaking of hits, just a fun fact, the only number one single Avril Lavigne has ever had was Girlfriend, very strangely to me. And it was only number one for one week. So weird that she had such a big impact and also never had a number one in my opinion, or only had that one number one. The top single from the album Let Go was Complicated. It peaked at number two on the Billboard Hot 100 during the week of August 3rd, 2002, and was in the company of 
Hot in Here by Nelly at number one. Dilemma by Nelly featuring Kelly Rowland at number three. Without Me by Eminem at number six. A Thousand Miles Down at number 13. And The Middle by Jimmy Eat World at 12. So here are some critic reviews. This one is from All Music's Christina Saracito. She rated it four out of five stars. This is a review from 2002. She says, being under 21 and having a record deal no longer qualifies as extraordinary. And as mass-produced teen pop makes its exit and a glut of young singer-songwriters enter, child prodigies no longer have built-in marketing appeal. So if 17-year-old newcomer Avril Lavigne truly wants to be anything but ordinary as she sings on her debut album, Let Go, she'll have to dig deeper. Luckily for Lavigne, aside from youth, she does have talent. Lavigne is a capable songwriter with vocal chops and at her age one imagines she is still finding her feet borrowing from the music she's grown up listening to Levine is still so young she's listening to the radio hits of the 90s and early 2000s she's pink when she's fucking authority Alanis Morissette when she's angry and Jewel when she's sensitive let go shows promise but the question is whether Levine and only Levine will shine through on her next effort I think that last little chunk about her being similar to Pink and Alanis Morissette and Jewel is really accurate. And it also reminds me of the way that mom would react to Avril Lavigne's music. Like I remember her, I remember I learned who Jewel was because of Avril Lavigne, mom telling me about that. Pink, I think also it was like I was in the Avril Lavigne and then the pink comparison would always come in. So I found her that way. And then do you remember mom telling you to dress up as Alanis Morissette for the Silver Lake Festival? Yeah, yeah I've said that on the pod before. I dressed up as Avril Lavigne and then mom was like, Audrey should be Alanis. And we were like, who are you talking about? Yeah. So <laughs> so they all do feel very inter interconnected to me. And if you were really into Alanis or like, I'm sure a lot of the people who heard Avril's music in the 90s were like, this is an Alanis knockoff. Like some of it would be like, this is like derivative of her. But for us who were hearing it for the first time, it was like a new thing. And then from the Pitchfork 2018 review. So this one's by Jameson Cox and they rated it 6.6 out of 10, I guess. Let Go is the foundation of her surprisingly considerable legacy. Her feelings about it might be, well, complicated. She'd grown up enough by its release to know it wasn't the album she wanted to make and she never quite escaped its shadow. But you can imagine her listening to Let Go like she's slipping through a yearbook or watching some long forgotten DVD from a high school talent show. It feels like a true dispatch from the front lines of a teenager's brain. Unsure of itself, inelegant, and occasionally insane, inane, crackling with nervous energy. Since her debut, Levine has never struck gold in the same way, veering back and forth between surly post-grunge, 2004's sophomore effort, Under My Skin, and songs like Girlfriend, a bratty 2007 collaboration with Dr. Luke that hit number one but felt like a concession. <laughs> Listening to later singles like Here's to Never Growing Up and Seventeen feels like chewing pieces of dime store bubblegum when you're old enough to make your own appointments at the dentist. Totally agreed. Yeah. Um, I think this line... It feels like a true dispatch from the front lines of a teenager's brain, unsure of itself, inelegant, and occasionally inane, that whole thing. I feel like that is so accurate. And this album is another piece of media that to me as a 
tween really romanticized the idea of being a teenager and experiencing all these big feelings and like having all these firsts. I think that this album gave me a lot to look forward to experiencing as a teenager, which may or may not have panned out. (laughs) (laughs) But that's definitely something that lives in my mind. And I think you can see the influence of this album everywhere. Basically, every even semi-edgy female or non-man performer that is hitting it big in this era has verbally acknowledged the influence that Avril Lavigne had on them. So everyone from like Soccer Mommy and Snail Mail all the way up to Billie Eilish, Olivia Rodrigo and Paramore. Obviously, there's a very intense Avril Lavigne to Paramore pipeline. I know I fell into that for sure. And then people like Phoebe Bridgers. It's truly every girl, pop girl to singer, songwriter girl, emo to not emo. We are all indebted to this album in one way or another, in my opinion. Even probably Taylor Swift. She probably had her come on like the 1989 tour or something. I like if actually I literally think she did. Yeah, she probably did. I think they sang complicated or something. Yeah. So Yeah. I'm sure we can find the video of that. Texting all week and we finally got to meet today and she's so cool. She's so sweet, which I love when I find out that one of my favorite artists is also super amazing as a person. You and I both know I have a ton of memories about this album, but what do you have about it? Basically, it's another one of those things where I have connected it to you and I liked the music and I listened to it and I know all the words. I literally know all the words to this whole album, <laughs> but I don't have memories associated with it that don't have to do with you. We had a DVD of one of the tours. Which tour was it? It was her first tour. It was the My World tour. Yeah, but the like energy of that DVD was like really intense for some reason. <laughs> like I feel yeah. the like visuals of it. I just thought it was funny that we had it. I don't really remember watching it often because I think it had like a menacing energy or it was like weird somehow. I don't know. <laughs> There were a couple things about it. So obviously I watched this thing like 10 trillion times and was like, how can I form my personality around this? There was the actual tour, like the actual concert recording, which honestly I like didn't watch. The only thing I did watch was the behind the scenes tour documentary, which was mostly just like her and the guys in the band, like running around being skater punks in like arenas and stuff. And I just thought that was so cool and so edgy. And I wanted to be that way so badly. The edgy thing that you're thinking about, the dark thing, is that she did a cover of this Metallica song. And she also did a cover of a Green Day song. And that was like very much not anything that was in our world at the time. Technically, Green Day was. (laughs) Okay, Do you want to talk about why? Just because we had a dance. We had a jazz dance to a Green Day song. Yeah, we did two Maroon 5 songs and then Holiday by Green Day. 
a jazz dance. What was the other jazz? We only had one jazz dance to Maroon 5. We just had. No, we did this love and we did. She will will be be loved. (laughs) Yeah, I think I do have a video of that, too. There was only four girls in the class, including us. And Audrey and I are like in perfect sync. And the other girls are just like flailing. And it's really funny to look at. I think we are executing the mediocre material perfectly. None of us were selling it. That's what I'm saying. Like our faces were dead. Like, <laughs> Okay, what are you supposed to do as like a fourth grader to she will be loved in a jazz dance? Another memory I have with Let Go has to do very closely with our neighbor, our former neighbor, Annie Bauer, listener to the pod. Hello, Annie, if you are listening. Annie gave me, I think her older sister Ellen's like broken jewel case copy of Let Go. And I could not believe she gave me this thing. Like to me, that was like, not to reference Willy Wonka, but it was like someone just like casually giving you their golden ticket, like as if it didn't matter. That is how I felt about it. I felt, especially because we had so many rules about what we were and weren't allowed to have media wise, just being given this album, I was like, oh, this is what true freedom feels like. And to this day, I have the liner notes from that album on my fridge, unfolded. And, you know, there was like the handwritten liner notes just true perfection. So thank you, Annie, for giving me that album all those years ago. Also, just like the whole Avril thing of um, whatever wave of feminism it was that's similar to the pink stupid girls thing where it's like, I'm an angsty white girl versus their bimbo white girls. Like, fuck bimbos. It, it fed into that. Also, this album definitely inspired me to learn how to play guitar, which I can still do to a certain extent. I play bass mostly now. Guitar is really hard to play. There was this like talent competition (laughs) in my school in the entire extended school system of Cuyahoga Falls. And when I was in sixth grade, I decided I was going to audition for it. And it was called Cuyahoga Falls Idol. (laughs) And I chose to sing Nobody's Fool, which has a rap in the beginning. (laughs) I have no memory of this. You were like very not involved. I think that I flaked on this audition last second. Like I was there in the minivan and like Angela got out to go audition and mom drove us. And I was like, I literally can't do it. Like I can't go in there and do this. (laughs) And she was like, okay, sweetie. And then I didn't regret it. I was like, that would have been fucking humiliating. Yeah. (laughs) Almost did Nobody's Fool for (laughs) um, an audition, which also reminds me that when I first started taking voice lessons, I brought in this like, Avril Lavigne mix CD, of course, because the vocal teacher was like, come in and sing me a song. And so I went in and I sang. Is this the old lady? Yes. The church lady? Yes. In the basement of the church. Her name was Dr. Helen Parr. And I sang Tomorrow off this album, which is approximately the easiest song on earth to sing. (laughs) And I remember after I finished singing it, she was like, all right, well, um, that song is pretty much in a man's range, but we'll work on that. (laughs) And I was like, damn, Helen Parr, like, okay, thank you for the encouragement. I mean, it's, she was like, not fun. She was like, not the teacher to be bringing Avril songs Mm, to. No, 
Absolutely not. But I had no idea going into it. Like it was very much like church basement vocal lessons and it wasn't bad, but she did. Oh my God. She did have me do this thing where when we first started taking lessons, she was like, you have to bring a tape recorder and you have to record all of our lessons. So then you can go back and practice with them. But I still have some of them and you can hear me like weekly singing as a fourth <laughs> grader. And it's actually really cute looking back at it. So I am glad that I recorded those. I just have a few more small things. There's so many memories. I really, 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 really wanted to go to the Avril Lavigne tour like more than anything in my life. Keep in mind, I had this insane Avril Lavigne wall in my bedroom. Like loving Avril Lavigne was a very dominant part of my personality. There was no avoiding it. Mom and dad were extremely aware of it. And I wanted to go to this tour so bad. It was the best damn thing tour. And she was even coming to Cleveland and mom and dad were just like, no, like there was not even a conversation about it. They were straight up like, no. And I was so pissed about it. I was not happy. It's kind of weird. I know. I don't really get why they were so hardcore against it. When we were in high school, dad would come with us to Paramore concerts and dad did too. Like dad wait, and dad. Yeah. Two dads, plot twist. I was like, wait, um, what? <laughs> Mom and dad both would take us to shows. So I don't know what that was there. Okay. And then the last thing I'm going to say about this album, or at least my memories with it, is that I know this came up with a Cinderella story 5,000 years ago, but the combination of a Cinderella story and this album (laughs) led me to write this like epic series of teen, like young adult stories I wrote so many of them. It was in Microsoft Word on my desktop computer in my room, which was not connected to the internet. I played Barbie Sparkling Ice Show and wrote my weird little stories. That is what I did. And Harry Potter, obviously. And Pet Rescue. And Pet Rescue. You're right. You're right. Um, But I wrote so many of these things. And I was also in like my little mini like manga phase. I was reading Boys Over Flowers, if anyone is familiar with that. So it was also that. So like weird sexual sexual assault plot lines, plus skater plot lines, plus like teen girl fantasy plot lines. I think I might remember all the characters' names and like all their personalities and stuff. And I like poured my heart into writing these things. And then when we moved to Solon in seventh grade, my dad was like I'm gonna back all of this up to a floppy disk and you'll get it back when we move and what happens he loses the floppy disk (laughs) my entire life's work tossed aside as if it was a half-assed social studies worksheet it was not that it was my heart and soul and I'm still salty about it and maybe someday It will reemerge. That floppy disk will float to the surface of random shit in mom and dad's house. And I will be complete again. But I was going to say, it's probably not lost. He doesn't lose things. I know. That's why I'm like, how did that even happen? Maybe he just didn't make it a priority to find it. But I would give anything to read those because they're definitely so painful. Maybe I'll call him and be like, do you have this? What if I called him on the podcast? (laughs) It is Sunday. Should I call him? Yeah, call him. Let's see what this man has to say for himself. (laughs) Hi, dad. (laughs) We're we're recording Sleepover right now. And you are audible. 
I'm going to hold you here so it can continue to be audible. Do you remember when we moved from Silver Lake to Solon and I had written all of those stories and then they got put on a floppy disk and then I, my memory is telling me that you lost the floppy disk. Uh, I faintly remember. <laughs> Do you really think that you lost it? Yeah, I mean, I would never intentionally lose anything of yours. Well, we're just remarking on the fact that... I mean, a move is really, really, really complicated. I mean, yes, you can't hear Audrey, but she's chuckling. Um, We were just saying that you, like, never lose things, especially technology. That's not true. (laughs) You do lose things? Yes, I do. Oh! It's rare, but, you know... I do lose things on occasion. Do you think there's any chance that the floppy disk will resurface one day? Yeah, they're, they're, I mean, it's looking at your bookshelf upstairs and there's a ton of stuff. Oh, there. don't look in those notebooks. <laughs> Why would you think that I would intentionally no. lose? No, 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 no. I'm not saying you would intentionally lose it. Audrey is laughing. So I'm not saying that you would intentionally lose it. I'm just saying that it's so, it's just out of character. That's it. <laughs> Well, you know, your dad's not perfect. You know, that's a controversial piece of information to hear from you, but I guess I have no choice but to believe it. <laughs> oh, you haven't talked to your mom about that. <laughs> I guess I'll have to... Or, con- any, or anyone else who, who spends a lot of time with me. <laughs> I'm mostly just pulling your leg. <laughs> if you find yourself in the need of a really mind-numbing administrative task... At some point, um, perhaps we could together look for the floppy disk. I do disc. recall, this is 15 years ago. Uh-huh. I remember you losing it, meaning, you know, couldn't find it. And I remember looking for it then. So that was two houses ago. So there's no way <laughs> I would even know where to start. I had a floppy disk. You know, Mom and I were talking about you do have a bunch of, you, you have some stuff in the uh, downstairs in the little closet underneath the stairway mm-hmm. in the basement. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's in there. Is that where you think the uh, Pulitzer Prize <laughs> book is? Mostly I want them because I just want to marinate and how awfully derivative and painful they are for sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. You do have a tremendous amount of documentation on your thinking over the years. That's why I'm saying I am begging you to never open any of the notebooks in my room. Don't, don't worry. I know, you know, dad is going down was a pretty frequent <laughs> thought. It might have been might have been translated from your brain to the paper. I was wondering you know, if you saw that. I don't even know why I was mad. It was just Yeah, why would you want dad to go down? I have no idea, especially because I really didn't slander you in my journals otherwise. (laughs) But you don't want me to open them. Yeah, not because it's about you. It's because it's gross and about my teenage feelings. Oh, okay. I think you would want to, you would want (laughs) to bleach your brain after reading that. All right. All right. Thank you for being a contributor. I will speak with you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Oh my God. From the horse's mouth, people. That's the first time we've wow. heard him. On I know the podcast. Okay, Slay. So I think it's time to take our break. Yeah, it's definitely time. Okay, so if you haven't listened to this album in a while, go give it a listen, and we are going to uh, deliver our feedback upon return. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, everybody, welcome back. Are you ready to uh, hear our little rankings of the album? Are you asking them? It's it's like it's it's like Dora the Explorer. (laughs) Where's the map? (laughs) And then just look at the screen and wait. That's what just happened. So before we share our rankings, I'm just going to read down the track listing so you know what we're working with. We have in order, losing grip, complicated. Skater boy. I am with you. Mobile. Unwanted. Tomorrow. Anything but ordinary. Things I'll never say. My world. world. Nobody's fool. Too much to ask. And naked. I'm really, 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 really unsure of my ranking. I can't. All these songs come in, like when I'm trying to rank this shit, it's like tenths of points, you know? I totally agree. And I will say it was really easy for me to figure out my tops and my bottoms, but the middle was hard for me. Yeah, I think that ultimately, like I was like, what criteria should I even judge this by? I had to go with which songs do I listen to the most? Like which songs do I gravitate towards the most yes rather than like popularity or like production or something like I just was like let me just go by what I click on first yes that is basically what I did too um and the songs that are like when I listen to them what gives me the most like serotonin essentially I'm gonna invite you to share your ranking first um okay yeah I'm really unsure of this ranking like I really am Okay. okay So 13 for me is unwanted. Same. (laughs) Really? Yeah, of course. Okay. My 12 is naked. What's yours? Mine is losing grip. My 11 is mobile. (laughs) Mine is tomorrow. My 10 is losing grip. Mine is nobody's fool. My 9 is my world. Mine is skater boy. Whoa. That's controversial. My eight is tomorrow. Mine is naked. My seven is nobody's fool. Mine is my world. (laughs) 
we're kind of like <laughs> we're kind of like roughly similar. Yeah. Um, my yeah. six is anything but ordinary. Mine is mobile. My five is skater boy. <laughs> my five is things I'll never say. Okay. My four is I'm with you. My four is too much to ask. My three is complicated. Okay. My three is anything but ordinary. Final two. I'll just say mine. Number two, too much to ask. Number one, things I'll never say. Okay. My top two are I'm with you and complicated. Yeah. No, that's good. Um, But things I'll never say and too much to ask are so good. Yeah. My complicated and I'm with you is three and four. And I was like, like, I yeah. would just give them one and two, but I'm going to shake it up and give them to like things I'll never say and too much to ask because that's what I like that's what I go for usually I think that those I mean those are very high up for me too those are my favorite like non-singles but like yeah when you hear I'm with you come on yeah string thing yeah it's curtains like it's over you're listening to the song you know what I mean yeah I'm waiting on a bridge also (laughs) there's a great bridge in that song I said, I'm waiting on a bridge. That's the lyric. I'm waiting on oh. a bridge. It's actually, I'm standing on yeah, a bridge. Yeah, I'm standing on a bridge. I'm waiting in the dark. That's what it is. Okay, so we both ranked unwanted dead last. <laughs> I'm glad we can agree on that. It's not pleasant to listen to. It's not pleasant to listen to. And actually, interestingly, I found this little blurb about it because I had a feeling this would come up. So this is from the 2002 Rolling Stone thing. In Unwanted, she addresses rejection by one boyfriend's parents with the line, I just don't understand why you won't talk to me. It's important when you have a boyfriend to go over to the house and bond with the parents, she says. I was really polite to them. I had dinner with them at the table and I had my manners. Like, can I help you with anything? Can I wash the dishes? But they didn't want me with their boy. I guess they thought I was a bit wild for him. And I was so hurt by that. I mean, I also get it really confused with that other song from her second album, Forgotten. You know what I'm talking about? When she's like, have you oh, forgotten yeah. everything yeah. that I wanted? That being said, though, one thing that's really interesting about that song is that in all these interviews at the time, she was like, I wanted my sound to be like losing grip and unwanted. Those were my favorites. And I'm like, girl, those were dead last on my ranking. Yeah. Thank God. They're not great. <laughs> Thank God. They're that not great. They produced her out of that because I get yeah. what she means by that, but it's not the best <laughs> for her. No. So, okay. I already talked about why I don't like unwanted and losing grip kind of in that same little block and then tomorrow honestly I just have memories of my flopped vocal lesson with and also the lyrics don't like say anything yeah like it's not about anything my whole middle chunk is like very arbitrary yeah because they all kind of feel the same to me to a certain extent like anything but ordinary things I'll never say my world and mobile kind of feel like one really long song. Walk me through your bottom three again. Okay, so 13, I said unwanted because it's not pleasant to listen to. Number 12, I said naked because it made me feel weird as a kid. I feel like I was like, I I don't know. I don't like this one. <laughs> like, I just didn't. But I, I don't I, like naked. I do like the melody, like the... Right 
Yeah. It's still, I mean, I like all these songs, so it's hard for me to rank it low. Um, And then Mobile, I think, how does that song start? Went back home again. Oh, yeah. has got to back up and leave again. No, I do like that song, actually. (laughs) (laughs) I like that song. I I mean, that chorus is really good, too. Yeah. Everything. Yes. I can't hate on it, really. Really, there are no skips except for unwanted. Yeah, (laughs) it's true. I'm so sorry. I mean, we could talk about like the impact of complicated and skater boy. Like skater boy is still played at places now. Kind of like, I don't know, maybe like come on Eileen or some shit where it's like (laughs) you're playing it. For you having like an ulterior motive or something. <laughs> like, I don't know. You mean like it's like a wedding song, like a wedding reception song? Yeah, like it's like, it's like a song. Ulterior motive. Yeah, like it's a song that people, like you're not playing Skater Boy because you love Avril Lavigne. You're playing it because it's just one of those songs that transcended itself. Because you're playing the hits. Yeah. Yeah. It's a huge song. Yeah. Especially to our generation you know skater boy and complicated and i'm with you but skater boy is kind of like a meme more than the other ones like i don't even know how to put that into words but i do feel like like when i if i hear skater boy at like a bar or something like a place where there's dancing it like a part of me is just like you don't know her like that (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 i'm just like you don't deserve to play this song Okay, so remind me of your top three. Things I'll never say, too much to ask, complicated. So tell me about why you chose what you chose. I feel like Things I'll Never Say is number one for me because it, I, I for some reason, just gravitate towards it. I, I don't even really know why. I think I like the sound of the chorus and the, I like the production. It kind of fits well into this category of 2000s music that I really like listening to now that is like mm-hmm. kind of organic-ish sounding, like, pop. I don't know how to describe it. guitar-led pop. I've been enjoying that sort of music recently. (laughs) I don't know why. Yeah, well, it's just like a breezy little pop moment. Like, you can have an issue with it. Just the concept of wishing your life away. I remember hearing that as a kid and being like, why (laughs) but then (laughs) but then later you're like oh yeah it's true yeah don't wish your life away if I was gonna be honest about my feelings I would say x y and z but like I'm too coy so I'm not gonna do that my second one was too much to ask because it has the amazing line it's the first time I ever felt this lonely I wish someone could hear this pain it's funny when you think it's gonna work out till you chose weed over me you're so lame literally weed as a kid i thought she was saying till you chose meat over me (laughs) or like you were like that's so deep till you chose meat (laughs) over me that's kind of what i heard is meat over me (laughs) an old-timey ale it's just like some meat when i was a kid i didn't know the word weed like i didn't my brain couldn't place it into that lyric so you know when you're a kid and your brain just comes up with something else because you don't know but that song 
Can't you see that you lie to yourself? You can't see a world through a mirror. It's a great song. Yeah, and I I think it pairs well with things I'll never say. Yes. So I think that's kind of why I went one, two with them. Because they're Mm -hmm. the ones I gravitate towards that aren't the singles that like go together to me for some reason. So those are actually next to each other on my ranking too. Yeah. They're a fine wine and cheese pairing. Yeah. And then third complicated because I can't just ignore the greatness of that single. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say the same thing. Complicated is my number one because I can't dismiss genius. Yeah. An incredible pop song, great guitar riff, great chorus. There isn't a single part of that song that isn't absolute perfection, in my opinion. Yeah, fully. All the melodies are great. All the lyrics are perfect for her. I love Complicated. (laughs) It's such a great song. I'm With You is my number two because, A, it's objectively great. Is there a better song out there for placing your little tween head up against the window with some rain droplets there, looking at the misty neighborhood all dark and emo and being like, wow. I'm saying on this album, <laughs> this is the strongest pick for that. Yeah. On, on oh, Under you My choose, Skin, yeah. there are stronger picks. Yeah. yeah. And in general, it's like, I would choose Breakaway because that's just... In the rain? Yeah, break away. I mean, I know there's when the rain would fall down. I just stare out my window. Yeah. But to me, a breakaway is like breakaway is like a like a sunny day song. No, it is. But like, oh, you know what I was thinking of actually is I guess when am I thinking home. of too little, too late? That's but, also a really good one. Yeah, we're definitely gonna talk about JoJo. Yeah, but what's, like imminently. what's weird with JoJo is that, like, I never really listened to her full albums. So, like, I don't really have that. Yeah, I did. My number three is Anything But Ordinary. Because it's a great song, but I also love the opening lines, which are, Sometimes I get so weird, I even freak myself out. <laughs> which is so, like, oh my God, I'm just, like, so crazy. Like... <laughs> Yeah, and then I laugh myself to sleep. It's my lullaby. I was thinking about that, and I was like, I know that there are girls out there who, like, were listening. Even you, I don't know, maybe, who were, like, listening to it and then, like, did it. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Like, let me try laughing myself. Yeah, like, they were like, I'm going to fully embody this character. And then they really, like, tried to do it, and then they, like, felt weird. (laughs) You're absolutely correct. And I am shocked that I wasn't one of those people because I definitely should have been. But that's that doesn't really work. Laughing yourself to sleep is not a thing. Also, one thing about that song is I have never known what the lyrics to the bridge are after the first two lines. So this is what they are. Accident, turbulent, succulent, <laughs> opulent, permanent. So you mean to tell me this entire time she's been saying succulent? Yeah. It's just funny for her to be like, I write my songs. And then it's like 17-year-old Avril Lavigne was saying opulent and turbulent. Yeah. I, Not to be a misogynist, but I doubt it that that was happening based off everything about her. <laughs> I mean, I bought it at the time. 
when you're young, like when you're younger than the artist you're listening to, you just think yeah. that they are a fully formed adult and you think yeah. that they just know everything. I totally agree. And that is not the tea with her. With Avril, though, <laughs> looking at where she is at now and like hearing how she talks now, it really just makes me wonder how smart she ever was. Because, and this also sounds bad, but (laughs) she came to America at a young age and has lived presumably in LA for over 15 years now or somewhere, you know, she sounds really, really LA now. And she doesn't have any sort of like trace of her roots seemingly Mm -hmm. anymore. And she seems kind of (laughs) dumb. No, she seems really stupid. I remember even when I was a little kid and I would find like tiny little features of her in People Magazine or whatever, like the scraps I would tape to my wall. She was always like disappointingly shallow. Like I always noticed that. Yeah. And it's like you, I I mean, how rare is that? That is such a rare situation where you've got this teen artist who appears to have like a lot there is very thoughtful and like has like a very deep inner world like that's what you think yeah because of the lyrics yeah. some of the lyrics and then you hear them talk and you're like wait what you're what's, like oh you're legitimately stupid what's going on and I think that's also <laughs> partially why people have constructed this thing about the Melissa Vandela yeah situation. because they just didn't want it to be true that this is who yeah. she is Right. But like, even when you see interviews with her as like a teenager, it's not like she still kind of gives stupid. Yeah, she does. Um, which sucks. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But I remember even when I was a kid and I realized she was stupid, I was like, it doesn't matter if she's stupid or not, because it's about your experience of the work and of the persona. That is what actually matters. Basically, I was separating yeah. art from the artist as a fifth grader. Yeah. Like, that is wild. Also, speaking of that, I totally forgot that right here I have my Avril Lavigne book cover from this same era. This is covering up my copy of The Artist's Way, because every time I would look at it, I'd be like, I don't want to do that ever again. So now it is hidden by Avril Lavigne. I don't know. Yeah, it's a sad truth, but I feel like it does have to be addressed that she, who she is. And and we didn't even talk about like when she came out with Girlfriend and like the, the weirdness of that. I, I didn't bring it up because I figured there may be a future episode where we talk about that album. I, I've never listened to, I don't know that album. Like I wouldn't listen to it. I have such a distinct set of memories from when that happened that it would literally take me like another 20 minutes to explain it. So I'm just going to put a pin in that for a future episode, but I'm going to sum it up in one word and just say sadness. Like some pop stars or some, you know, famous singers are able to make that turn from what they were doing to pop, but it just wasn't and not that she wasn't doing pop before, but this kind, <laughs> like, yeah, it was such <sighs> a, it was so disheartening. Like I was fully like less than 10 years old at the time. And I was like, she's really gone off the deep end. <laughs> I'm going to save my thoughts for another episode, but you're absolutely right. And it was really sad. So basically like 
I feel like this album and Under My Skin are pretty comparable in terms of bangers. It's just a little different tonally. And then it just falls off an absolute cliff after that. But again, we will get to that in the future. I guess the main question, we already know the answer, but is Let Go a good album objectively? And does it still hold up today? Yes, to both. 100% agreed. It is established a blueprint for a ton of our favorite music that exists today. And it was a huge cultural moment for us and for all of the girls who didn't want to be like other girls. And also to a certain extent, like teenage girls who didn't want to be sexy in the way that teenage girls were sexualized at the time in pop culture. So our new thing for our album episodes is that we are going to take you guys out on a cover, like a little cover of one of the songs from the album. So get ready for that. And we hope you enjoy it. Okay, so as always, you can find more from us at evergreenpodcast.com slash sleepover dash cinema and keep up with our latest creative projects at tupingproductions.com. We're on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube at Sleepover Cinema and post a full video version of each episode on YouTube every Thursday. And also, please let us know if you liked this episode. <laughs> it's different. Yeah, please give us <laughs> feedback. <laughs> you can follow me, Audrey, at Audriana Leach on everything. And you can follow me, Hannah, at Hannah Ray Leach on Instagram and at Lana Von Trapp on Twitter. Please join our Discord server at the link in the episode description or on evergreenpodcast.com if you are looking for a cute, cozy virtual community in which we discuss everything sleepover cinema related. You can check out our merch at twopingproductions.com slash shop and our case to five code, which is 15 sleepover. And if you like the show, if you are also a former Avril girl, please share this episode with some friends, some family members, some... Um, some romantic partners maybe one or two and uh let us know what they think sleepover cinema is a production of evergreen podcasts produced edited and engineered by us hannah and audrey leach sleepover cinema is mixed by sean rule hoffman with theme music by josh perlman hall executive producer is michael dialoya no no oh no <laughs> you don't even have to sing this time because we're gonna <laughs> You're right. Damn it. <laughs> 
Hello everyone, my name is Matt Neglia, and I am the host of the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Film Entertainment Awards website, nextbestpicture.com. On our show, we explore all year long what is possibly going to win Best Picture at the Oscars. We do this by conducting interviews with people within the film industry, holding weekly reviews of the latest theatrical releases, and on our main show, where we dive into various different topics, answer your fan questions, and also do our best to explore Oscar history's past in hopes that it will tell us something new for this upcoming award season race. We hope that you will join us on all of the various podcasting networks. We look forward to seeing you over at nextbestpicture.com. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.